0: and welcome to Mummin' It, the podcast where we chat all things parenthood. I'm Harriet Shearsmith and I am indeed mumming it in my way with my three kids, but I want to know what that looks like for other parents. If you like the podcast, don't forget to check out my book also called Mummin' It, available in all good bookshops and online. Hi everyone, welcome back to my podcast Today's guest is somebody that I have been following for absolutely forever on social media And following her journey which I wanted to chat to her about today And it is Hayley from Sparkles and Stretch Marks Now Hayley is a parent to a transgender child called Noah And also a massive body positivity advocate Like you are someone who makes me feel good about my body and makes me feel accepting about who I am and you're kind of someone who inspired me to get involved in body confidence and sharing that self-love. So yeah, welcome. Hello, thank you for having me. That's really nice. Thank you, I didn't know that. You are, definitely. I wanted to chat to you obviously about both of those topics but let's kick start with Noah and your journey together. Noah, is a transgender child. I've been following you before Noah. Would you say made, not made the transition, but said that they wanted to transition? And Noah is? Noah is six and a half now. She was
1: three when she first kind of vocalised that she wasn't the gender that she was assigned at birth so we're about three years in.
0: I'd imagine that's been quite the learning curve for you Like when I look at social media I follow quite a lot of trans activists and they're not really talking to you as someone who is a parent trying to support a child through that transition and supporting a child in being their authentic selves so it must be quite a
1: minefield. It is definitely and that is kind of why we do kind of talk about it. It is only something that I've started to do more quite recently. When we first found out when there were first vocalised to us that she identified as transgender and the very first thing that I did was go online and try to find other parents because I think it's just a natural instinct isn't it you want to hear other people's lived experiences you want to know that all of the feelings that you're feeling are normal that other people felt them too and I just couldn't find anything the one thing that I managed to find was a podcast from an American lady and I tried to listen to that But I don't know whether it was because it was a podcast. It was too emotional for me. I tried to listen to it. I broke down in tears. It was very soon after it had all kind of come to light. And it was just too much too soon. And I I just couldn't find anything else. I just wanted to, to read someone's story so I could kind of read it in my own time. And, you know, kind of just be gentle with myself about it, I suppose. Because it was quite a process. And it was quite a lot of emotions that we were going through then. And I just kind of wanted some kind of beginner level tips if that makes sense like to kind of ease me into things i found that there was a parent support forum but that was seen to be for people who were much further into the journey and when i posted on there as someone who was new to all of this i kind of got shouted down quite quickly from not using the right pronouns and things like that and it just didn't feel like a safe space to learn in if that makes sense it kind of felt like a space where i needed to already know everything Because I couldn't find anything, I kind of promised myself then that once I was more familiar, once I was more comfortable with it, that I wanted to make sure that I was that person for other people who were just kind of starting out with this. Because it is quite overwhelming. It's very, very frightening. Like the statistics that you read around kind of transgender youth, they can be really terrifying as a parent. And I just kind of feel like there needs to be people that you can reach out to who've lived it, who you can talk to with it kind of judgment-free.
0: Yeah, and I love that you do that and you provide that space. Certainly my upbringing was very heteronormative. Actually, looking back on it, it was quite homophobic in a lot of the things, quite phobic in general. And I had to work hard to educate myself. And I know that there will have been times when I will have made mistakes on that. I'll have cocked up because that's not what I was taught when I was a child. And these things stick with you. So we live in this really heteronormative society where everybody's expected to fit into this little box. And all of a sudden, when your child doesn't, and you want to be the best parent that you can be, and you want to support them as much as possible you have to be given that chance to learn and to understand and it's got to be judgment free because you're going to make mistakes with it. Take me back to the very beginning and how everything started with Noah, what your experiences were right in the beginning and how she came to vocalise. I think I remember following you right from the beginning. I remember you taking what at the time you thought of as your, your son to Disneyland and then wanting to be a princess and wanting to do all these different things and not actually being given the opportunity to do that. Was that always the way that things were with noah yeah pretty much the thing with noah is ever since noah could walk could kind of
1: show any preference for anything it was always what would be kind of stereotypically considered the feminine. i was trained as a nursery nurse and it was part of our training that you know there is no such thing as a boy's toy or a girl's toy or a boy's outfit or a girl's outfit so i was very much that kind of parent anyway they always made their own choices we always had a whole kind of array of dress-up costumes that they could choose from my firstborn child, who was a boy, he could not be more of a kind of stereotypical boy if he tried. He would not want to know about anything to do with like dresses and princesses. You could not force that child into a dress if your life depended on it. You really couldn't, which is kind of always makes me laugh when people try to say that we're forcing this on Noah. Like I'd love to see somebody try to do that to so, like my eldest child. It just wouldn't wouldn't fly. Yeah, so Noah had always kind of chosen those things. The princess dresses, loved Frozen, loved Elsa, but we just kind of thought, oh okay, so. So, this is just a little boy who just loves princesses dressed up, you know, sparkly things. Like, why not? then the first kind of real experience we had with it was the Disneyland Paris thing so because we went quite often to Disneyland we always tried to do something different every time and this time I tried to book a princess makeover for Noah because I knew that Noah would absolutely love that the email that I got back from Disneyland Paris was basically saying that because Noah was a boy we couldn't book the experience it was only for girls but what we could do was pay for a package of dresses to be delivered to the hotel room and I kind of took that like I really took offence to that and thought oh wow like so you know place that's supposed to be all about being yourself and living your dreams they're not going to let the boy be who they want to be but he can do it in the privacy of his hotel room like it's some kind of thing to keep secret I really didn't like that at all so I did what I always do when I get angry about something kind of wrote about it on my blog straight away let off steam you know banged it out published it didn't think anything else of it it went viral um overnight it kind of took on a life of its own and ended up kind of in newspapers around the world we got so much hate from that, and that was kind of my first experience of just how much hate is out there for children like Noah. And bearing in mind that at the time, this was still what we thought was just a little boy who liked princess dresses. And at the time, that we thought, oh, well, we realized that Noah was transgender, and still we got death threats towards me, death threats towards Noah. It was huge, it was horrible. And I think. It was a few months after that that Noah started to vocalise that actually she identified as a girl. And that was very fresh in my mind, kind of the memory of all of that. (laughs) I think that kind of made it a lot harder because I already, I was already going into it knowing kind of the level of hate that exists out there towards, you know, children who are outside of that norm kind of you know the normal kind of box in any way and I just couldn't imagine what it was going to be like now that Noah was actually identifying as transgender I had not known anybody in my life who identified as transgender child or adult I had no experience of it at all I was obviously brought up in a very heteronormative kind of family, um, childhood, the same as you, I would say, almost kind of bordering on
0: homophobic, really. And that's not to say that it's been done deliberately by parents. I think it's just when I was growing up 30 years ago, that was quite normal. And now I look back on things and think, God, no, I would not do that with my children. And I would not behave that way. But at the time, so many of us had that upbringing that really needs challenging now, and that we've had to relearn. it's, It's really important to relearn it, but it's still a process.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, I remember just kind of feeling very overwhelmed, not only at kind of our feelings about it, but worrying about what the family gonna have to say about it. I kind of knew that older family members were not going to have even heard of this being a thing. I was gonna have to not only kind of learn about it myself, but educate all of them as well. And it just felt so big and so overwhelming.
0: And at the centre of it all, there's a little girl who just wants to be herself. That's a massive thing because the instinct as a parent is to protect your children and to create the happiest, easiest life for them. And that's going to be really difficult when you're faced with what you already know is a vast amount of hate out there. And we talk about how we've become a much more progressive society. But when we see this kind of thing put into the public domain, it actually tells a very different story, as you found out.
1: It does. Yeah. I kind of have two thought processes on that, though. Like, I I know that it is definitely true that obviously we've experienced it. I know other, you know, I follow a lot of trans activists myself, become friends with quite a few. I know the kind of things that they are exposed to, and it is terrifying and it is awful. And the hate is very much out there. I have started to kind of realize, though, that it is kind of something that seems to be a bit more prevalent for us personally on the internet rather than in our real lives. So I experience a lot of kind of trolling online, a lot of negative kind of comments online. But in our actual day-to-day life, we have yet to kind of have a single negative comment from anybody. Everyone has been so supportive, so kind of welcoming, so inclusive of Noah. Noah's never experienced any negativity so far it's kind of heartbreaking because I know that that bubble's got a burst at some point it it just inevitably will and I live in fear of that happening every day but for right now her experience is just purely acceptance I've been really surprised by how accepted people have been
0: that is really great so how have you found the experience going into school well it's a bit different for us because we home educate, and
1: Noah doesn't go to school she goes to kind of clubs and things like that so she socializes with school children quite often and everyone has been you Very welcoming, very supportive. I've been quite pleasantly surprised by how kind of progressive a lot of things are now. Like one of my friends started going to Rainbows recently, you know, the younger version of Brownies, and I Noah I wanted to go as well, so I looked into it to see did they have a policy on you know transgender children because it's meant to be a girls only. And I was really pleasantly surprised, like they have a whole statement on their website that transgender children are are welcome. So yeah, overall it's been quite positive, and I know I have kind of friends with transgender children who do go to school. And schools do tend to have these inclusion policies. And I don't know of anyone who's had a negative experience personally so far.
0: That's really great to hear, because as I said before, I follow a lot of trans activists who are now adults. And that's a very different story to 10 years ago when they were at school, or even five years ago when they were at school. They faced a lot of kickback. And I know from personal experiences with friends and Close members that they haven't necessarily had the accepting experience when they've gone into clubs or if they've been in a school setting or anything like that. Was your decision to homeschool was that because you were worried about anything or have you always wanted to homeschool?
1: No, it wasn't really. We'd already kind of made the decision to homeschool with Noah's older brother, so he started school and then we we took him out of school because he just wasn't enjoying it and because it was kind of it was working. We kind of made friends within the home ed community locally. There's quite a big home air community where we live it was working so we stuck with it I have always kind of thought though that I'm glad in a way because it took away one kind of barrier that we might have had to kind of deal with now that we know about NOAA I feel like it has probably made things easier just because we haven't had to have that conversation with the school we haven't had to deal with any kind of issues with regards to that but no it wasn't part of the decision process
0: think homeschooling is something that a few of us think we've had the experience of through lockdown but actually the people that I've spoken to within the homeschool community have been like no it's nothing like it for them there's the you know as you mentioned before activities and clubs and there's such a vast and wealth of people and diversity and wonderful experiences that your kids can have we considered homeschooling after the first lockdown and I say we very loosely I mean me Uh, Toby was very against it Adam my husband was like absolutely not and it was really just me and Reuben my eldest who were like We could do this full time. This is quite fun, actually. You know, we could do this. We've got clubs and things. That'd be great. I mean, we ultimately, we decided against it and they went back to school and they're really happy. But I think when we think of homeschooling, I think unless you've done it yourself and with this lockdown, if anything, it's kind of put a coloured view on it. So talk to me a bit about homeschooling.
1: Yeah, homeschooling through the pandemic was an experience. (laughs) (laughs) It was very far removed. I mean, with homeschooling, it's like anything in life. There are a million different ways that people do it. So some homeschoolers will kind of recreate school at home and have kind of strict timetables and do all of their lesson plans and everything. Some people do do that, but I would say they are in the minority. The vast majority of homeschoolers, in my experience, tend to lean towards something called unschooling, which is where it's all kind of very child-led. The children choose what they're going to learn about, and they kind of just learn through life, really. So we don't have like a strict timetable. We don't do specific things like each day, aside from their groups. They do those, obviously, at specific times. What I love about homeschooling is the freedom like there is just so much freedom you're not answering to anybody you know you can go and do whatever you want whenever you want without needing to ask for anyone's permission without needing to pay a fine to anybody for taking your kids away and there's just there's so much choice out there of things to do like we are spoilt for choice with the groups that we can go to locally we can't fit them all in we can't afford them all but there is so much choice available that they could be doing you know three or four different things a day and it's just such a huge range of things that they can do it is it's a really brilliant experience i think it's great bonding for the parents and kids as well but yeah it was- There's a big misconception that homeschoolers through the pandemic didn't really have any upheaval because it was what we were already doing and actually nothing could really be further from the truth because all of the groups closed, everything that is usually how our kids learn, museums, you know, holidays, all the rest of it, like all of that was gone and all of a sudden we're all just stuck in the house like all day, every day. That is not at all what our lives would usually look like. Whereas children kind of have gone back to school and got that normality back. We're kind of still not anywhere close to where we were. Um, It has been really quite tricky, especially kind of from a social perspective.
0: Do you think that that will have affected your kids with their education and that kind of thing or have you managed to as a homeschooling community find a way to kind of adapt to it in the way that traditional schooling adapted because in that first lockdown I got myself on Twinkle which honestly Twinkle's a godsend and you guys kept that quiet like (laughs) that is that's a brilliant website Twinkle and I got myself on there and I looked through and I was like right this is the curriculum for this child's age range and I have three at three different levels totally different, all in primary school, all kind of needing that different type of education, I guess, and different curriculum base. I was like, right, what are they going to be passionate about that they haven't already done that I know they can enjoy? And I built a schedule around them basically, which I was incredibly lucky to do. And we stuck to it as a routine because they thrive on routine and we really enjoyed it. And then when the winter lockdown came, we had set hours, set days, set times, set things that had to be done that they fluff in well Hated and like whack him in front of a YouTube with Miss Considine, I think she was called. Honestly, by the end of it, I swear to God, Ruben was getting stabby every time I suggested he sit down and look at YouTube. He was not living his best life at all. So did you manage to find a way as a community to adapt to the new circumstance?
1: I mean, we did. It's it's human nature, isn't it? You kind of, you get on with it as best you can. And, you know, a lot of the groups that we go to started doing kind of online sessions, the science club and things like that would send out things in the post and we kind of find a way to make it work online. Obviously, it wasn't the same, but nothing really was, was it when we were in the lockdown connection? I wouldn't say that their education suffered at all. If anything, it actually got quite a bit easier in one way for homeschoolers because all of a sudden, all of the kids were at home. Everyone was kind of doing all these provisions, weren't they? You had like, PE with Joe and everything and dance classes with Oti Mabusi and all of that that the kids loved. So there was so much stuff that BBC Bite Size and doing their kind of daily things. There was so much help all of a sudden that it actually made my life a lot easier. I didn't have to do the same planning and resource finding that we would usually do. But in that way, it was fine. It is really the social aspect, which is funny because it's something that people always throw at homeschoolers, like, oh, but what about socialisation? Which usually in normal times, I would say that my kids socialise much more than I did as a school-going child. They mix with much more, you know, a more diverse, range of people they see more people throughout their week um, and all of the different things they go to but now all of these groups having to keep the kids in family bubbles still you know that's kind of all there's been a stop put some all of that so that is still harder and I do think that they are missing out in that way at home schoolers have been largely forgotten about by the government which doesn't surprise me but
0: <laughs> does it surprise anybody let's be honest <laughs> little tangent there Take me back to Noah and how you support her with the mental toll, I guess. Does it take much mental toll on her? I know you've talked quite openly about her looking at her body and saying, this is not how I feel. How does Noah cope with the mental toll?
1: It comes and goes, to be honest. And typically, you know, what kids are like, Noah will bring up big, difficult subjects. At the worst possible times Like always the worst times But there have been a few times Where she'll bring up quite big things Like she went through a phase Where she talks about wanting to cut off certain body parts Things like that, which obviously as a parent, I just found that terrifying, really overwhelming. And you're having to think on your feet, you know, with no guidance, really, of what is the right thing to say to this child right now. In this moment, I've got like this one chance to get this right. I can go away and research it afterwards. But right now is what matters, like what am I going to say? What is really difficult is, for all intents and purposes, Noah is a little girl. And so she thinks like a little girl. She talks about how when she's older, she wants to have babies. She shoves, you know, pillows up her dress like a little girl's do and talks about how she can't wait to have a baby in her tummy. You know, things like that I find difficult because... There's no kind of guidance on how to, to talk to her about these things. And as she's starting to get older and realise that actually, because I wasn't born in a girl's body, these things are not going to be possible for me to do. So I'd say it takes a toll on her mental health in that way. She says things like, I wish that there were other transgender people in my family, which kind of tells me that she is craving peers, that she wants peers to be able to talk to. And that is something that's really quite difficult to find, obviously, especially now, especially like with the pandemic and everything. So, yeah, there are kind of little things like that. Well, I say little, they're not little, but things that pop up every so often, mostly like for 95 percent of the time. She's a very happy child. She doesn't really seem to come up against these issues often. I think it's going to be something that happens more as she gets older. And this is where we really need, you know, the family support that is offered by the gender clinic. Once we kind of get through that referral process, we will be given things like family counselling and Noah will be given mental health support specific to a transgender child. But there's a very long waiting list for that. So I'm kind of hoping that we get access to that before puberty hits.
0: Is there much support out there? Because I was speaking to somebody a couple of weeks ago about the mental health services and how they've taken such a massive hit throughout the pandemic. And there is such a huge backlog. And I think what we will start seeing now is that the pandemic, whilst the NHS has been completely overrun by COVID, what I think we're going to start seeing now is how other services have been so drastically affected by that. And one of the ones that we need more than ever is the mental health service. And I know specifically with trans rights, everything seems to have taken a hit. We seem to be going backwards sometimes. So is there much support out there and how difficult has it been for you to actually get access to it? Because it's great to say it's there, but can you access it?
1: No, at the moment we can't. We haven't had any professional support as of yet. The answer that we're given is because of Noah's age. So when we've spoken to the doctors about it, we were continually told, I'll come back in a year, come back in a year if it's the same support. FM, hair choices, but just keep watching and waiting and see if anything changes, come back in a year now that noah is six and a half i'm aware that the waiting list is kind of two to three years and i want her name on that list because they're getting to the point now where by the time she gets to speak to somebody these changes to her body are going to have started to happen and we need support at that point but we are fortunate that noah kind of self-identified as transgender very very young and um, there are so many children who don't kind of vocalize their feelings until they are already at the point of puberty it's actually more common that way and those children need that act now they can't wait you know two to three years they need to be able to speak to somebody there and then and that is something that i think is a real a real problem that really does need to be addressed there's a handful of self-funded charities you know things supporting trans people and trans families but we need actual nhs support to be a lot more accessible really.
0: It's so frustrating isn't it because you would think with the focus that we have on mental health now that we would want to support everybody in their mental health and as you say if they identify later in their childhood you can't afford to be on a two-year waiting list or a three-year waiting list. From what I have seen and from what you've mentioned, it sounds like there is this stigma around, oh, well, it's a bit of a phase, let's wait and see. And it's not a phase. It's not something that can just be passed off. Definitely. I mean, obviously, there are children who
1: experiment and there are children who maybe, you know, don't know for sure. There are children who might identify as transgender at first and then actually realise that maybe they're non-binary. Obviously, there's a process of experimentation that could be involved for some children. So I understand why we're told when they're very young to wait and see for a period of time definitely but the guidance is the way they word it is insistent persistent and consistent then that's how you know the difference it doesn't take three years I don't think to do that kind of watchful weight and I think it's a bit of a brush up. yeah
0: it sounds like it doesn't it and as you say those three things they do not take three years to identify so moving away from your experience with Noah and with her journey talk to me about your body positivity because this you have been talking about it feels like you've been talking about that for longer than you've been talking about your experience with Noah as a trans child is that right
1: yeah definitely that was kind of why I
0: started on Instagram, really. It's
1: something that I feel really, really passionate about. The more I've kind of dove into it and learned about the subject, the more I've learned about the statistics about how unhappy most women are and how that affects their lives. I spent a lot of my life, like a massive, massive chunk of my life, just never feeling good enough, always comparing myself against other people and just really fearing you know, being fat at all. And it impacted my life in so many ways. People seem to think, oh, body positivity, you know, it's just about feeling good about yourself. It's just a bit of an ego boost. It's so much more than that. Like the ways it affected me were really quite extreme. I spent several years in a physically emotionally you know abusive relationship and I have come to realize kind of through therapy and all the rest of it that a big reason that I allowed that to happen was because of how I felt about myself and about my body I had no self-worth and if you don't have any self-worth the treatment that you accept from people in your life you know the bar is low and it can be a life-saving thing to you know to accept body, body positivity or even just body neutrality to learn how to accept yourself it can actually be life-saving for a lot of people so I do feel really passionate about it.
0: It's really interesting to hear you talk about how it can be life-saving because as you say quite often I think we confuse body positivity and body neutrality and body confidence as all the same thing and they're not they're quite different so talk to me about how you got into body positivity and what the differences are between those three. I got into body positivity kind of by accident to be honest like I say I spent most of my life on diet always
1: wanting to be thinner and the funny thing was I was never even overweight at that point I grew up as a very very skinny child I was kind of teased about my skinniness as a child I was quite a skinny teenager but still you know I grew up in an environment where the women in my life dieted like that is what they did it was always a personality trait it was what they talked about like all the time my auntie was a, a slimming world consultant so I used to go to the groups with her every week and kind of take the money and stuff and I'd watch the women in that group every week kind of step on and off that scale and oh my goodness like the way that I would kind of watch their faces fall you know they gained half a pound you'd see them stop it it taught me so much it taught me everything about how you know the most important thing as a woman was to be just as small as you possibly could and to take up as little space in the world as you possibly could and that was where your value was was in how small you could be So I kind of grew up, you know, at that age, I was was a kid watching this and I just wanted to be like these grown up ladies. That's all I wanted to do. So I kind of went on and off all these diets all throughout my teens and my twenties, still being very slim at the time. But it was just a way of life. It was just what I did. Never felt good enough, never felt confident. I weighed under nine stone and I'm five foot eight. So I was very, very thin and still feeling like, oh no, I can't show my arms, can't show my tummy, can't show anything because it's not good enough, it's not right. Kind of lived like that all throughout my life. And then I developed autoimmune thyroid disease, was put on steroid medication, and I gained five stone in the space of a year. And so my self-worth after that just absolutely plummeted. Like I say, I ended up in an abusive relationship. Then after that, I kind of started to work on myself. And I just happened to stumble across on Instagram, Body Posi Panda, who is a body positivity activist. And I read some of her posts and they just really spoke to me. And through her account, I was introduced to other body positivity activists online. I started to read their books. And the more that I kind of read about it, I remember just being mind blown, thinking it has never occurred to me that you can be just in your body, whether that be fat, chubby, thin, whatever, and you can just accept the way it is that you don't need to always be trying to change it and improve it and make it different, like you can just actually be happy as you are. These women who identify themselves as fat women, to see them on Instagram just living their best lives, going on holidays, getting married, having children, looking beautiful, looking so confident and so happy, that just opens up this whole new world to me that I haven't Realized was even an option. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, i and in love, like fat and beautiful. I just never known those things to go together in a sentence. Like, so that's how I kind of found body positivity and fully credit it with saving my life. Because at that time, I'd just had my third baby and I'd been put under the care of the, the perinatal mental health team. I was struggling with kind of suicidal thoughts. It was a really hard time and that, I really do feel like that kind of gave me something. It lifted me out of that and gave me something else to kind of focus on. So yeah, body positivity is a huge thing for me. Body positivity, so talking about the differences between them, body positivity is actually a political movement. It's been around since but kind of the 60s. It started off as the fat acceptance movement. But yeah, it's a political thing and there's so much to it. There really is. You could talk for hours about body positivity. Then you've got body neutrality, which is kind of something that's a little bit more about kind of the way you feel about yourself, I would say, rather than fighting for the rights of fat people in general. Body neutrality is more about kind of trying to just feel neutral towards your own body if maybe you can't get to a point of being positive about it yet or loving it yet. And then kind of self-love, they do tie into these things, but body positivity is about a lot more than just you, I would say. It's about kind of women's rights. As a whole thing
0: It's funny isn't it Because things like Instagram They popularise this sort of term And everybody then goes Okay so it's an Instagram thing And it's not Like you say It's a huge political movement Fighting for the rights of fat people And that's across So many different spectrums It's across the fashion industry It's across the medical industry There is so many ways In which fat people Are discriminated against And there are activists out there Who are actively fighting In all these different corners Across the bridge Of body positivity whether that is fighting on an individual level to say, hey, I want you to feel good about yourself because you bloody well deserve it. And don't let those crappy diet clubs tear you down. You are wonderful and you deserve to feel good about yourself at any size and at any point in your journey, whether or not you are actively changing your body or you are not. You have every right to exist. And then there are people who are looking on a more medical level, like there is Natasha, who's the fat doctor. She's absolutely phenomenal, fighting for. For the rights of fat people within the medical field, and as you said, there's Megan as well, who's Body Posi Panda, who I started following quite early on when I became interested in body positivity, because the same as you, I've always felt like I just needed to be thinner, and a lot of it did come from my upbringing. I didn't have the experience that you had with someone close to me running a swimming club or anything like that. But my mum was always on and off the scales, and all of her friends were always on and off the scales, and I don't think that we really realise the impact that that has on the younger generation and the fact that they sit and watch us talking about how I'm fat and I need to lose weight while simultaneously saying to our friends you're not fat no no you're not don't worry about that or saying negative things about people who have gained weight or that kind of thing it's so common and it really needs to stop yeah absolutely it is incredibly
1: common I've been doing some research lately because I've give talks to some local kind of charities for new mums about body image and stuff so I was doing some research for that and I found a statistic that was really quite shocking to me anyway which was that I think it was 84% of children's movies that were released since 2014 all contain negative weight stigma that's almost all of them isn't it like that is such a huge like percentage and it kind of really drove it home to me that, you know, we can all be doing all this work on a personal level to try to make sure that our kids don't hear us talking about fat in a negative way. They don't hear us talking about weight negatively. And we can try to neutralize all of that at home. But they are exposed to it regardless, you know, in the media in the things that they're watching. And, you know, you've even got kind of schools weighing them and all the rest of it. Like, it's just it's huge it's such a huge problem and yeah I just think that the work of body positivity activists is so important and it is about so much more than just let's feel good about ourselves in bikinis that's great and we should all feel good about ourselves in bikinis but it's about it's just about so much more than that the mental health knock-on effect of it all it's such a an important thing that we all need to be embracing regardless of whether we are fat or thin or anything else. I think it's something that everybody gets involved in.
0: Absolutely. So if you were to give somebody who's starting to try and actively feel more positive about their body, whether they want to be involved within the political aspect or not, but someone who is really struggling and who is in the position that you were in when you were at your lowest, what advice would you give them? So I would say the
1: most important thing for me
0: was change what
1: I kind of expose myself to on a daily basis most of us use social media every day and the things that you see on there are gonna kind of inform the opinions that you have about the world and about yourself so if you are continually seeing people who all look one way who all fit one kind of mold you know you're seeing a lot of white skinny toned stereotypically beautiful women on your Instagram then my biggest tip would be to change that immediately if there's any One that makes you feel any kinds of negativity about yourself or comparison in any way, unfollow them, or if you can't unfollow them, mute them, and fill up your feed with a more diverse range of people. So when I scroll through my Instagram feed now, I'm seeing such a wide range of kind of sizes, colours, abilities, you know, such a huge, and that is it's reflective of the actual world that we live in. Instagram is not the real world, and often it doesn't look like the real world. So we need to start to make it look that way, and once we start to see the true diversity of society and how beautiful that actually can be and you see in all these different people you know living their best lives like No matter what their size, no matter what they look like, it really can change your whole kind of perception of what is a good body. You know, do I need to be trying to reach these weight loss goals, dress size goals when look at these people and look how how happy they are? Like, I find that really, really helpful. So that would be the first thing I would say to do. The second thing I would say would be to... I suppose it's kind of exposure therapy what I did was I used to get weighed every single morning like it was just part of my morning routine to get weighed and if I'd gained a pound you know it would ruin my whole day before it even started so I threw the scales away and instead what I started to do was to look in the mirror every day in my underwear and just look at my body and I would challenge myself to pick out one thing that I liked and it was really hard at first because when you've lived your whole life kind of hating yourself, that can be really impossible to do. So I would pick things like, I love that, you know, my legs will let me go on a walk with my kids. I love that my arms will let me give my kids a cuddle, like little simple things like that. And then over time, the more I did that, the easier it became. And the more I started to be able to pick out little things that I did like. And I think that was huge. It was it was a huge part of it. Um, so I would say to definitely give that a try as well. And just just kind of expose yourself to different bodies and what they look like look at kind of fat art like there's an artist on Instagram called, Edith and she is amazing. Her artwork is beautiful. Just to kind of look at how beautiful bodies can be with their kind of, you know, the curves, the roles, just expose yourself to that and kind of break the message that we've all been fed for all these years, that beauty only looks one way because it really doesn't.
0: No, it really doesn't. Edith has a book called Bodies Are Cool that I saw. It was on Instagram. It was recommended by Cathy from that single mum. And it's all about how different bodies are and on every single page there is a multitude of different skin tones different abilities different sizes different everything really everything that you can think of is in that book and Edith loves going through it and spotting different people and saying "Oh, that person does that or that I like that one she's got pigtails and it's such a wide and diverse range and we need to do that as adults because I think we get into our own lane especially as adults where we've always followed this. So we just keep doing it. And we forget that we actually have the ability to learn and relearn and grow. And it's the same as we were talking earlier with Noah's experience about relearning things that perhaps have stuck in our minds from our childhood and doing better and doing better for ourselves and better for our children so that we don't pass stigmas onto them. So at the end of every episode, I ask our guests, what is their one mum hack and it can be absolutely anything so if you had to throw out there one mum hack that has carried you through what would it be?
1: I have something in my house that we call chuck it bucket or sometimes we call it the bucket
0: bucket. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I like that. It's a little basket that I put on the
1: stairs and it's a little wicker basket, so it looks really pretty and everything fits in with the decor of the house. Every night before bedtime, I pick up the chocolate bucket and I walk around the house and I put anything in it that is on the floor or on the couch or not in its home. And then I put it back on the stairs. And the kids know that when they walk past the chocolate bucket, they have to check what's in it. And if there is anything in there that they don't want to be chucked, they have to put it back in its home. If anything is left in the chocolate bucket, it gets chucked. And- I love that <laughs> um, It works at all. So far they've never tested me on it <laughs> I've never had to chuck anything But yeah it really does work
0: I think that's really clever I like that idea Honestly I can see doing that to my kids And them like leaving their iPads and stuff in there And just being like shing And they throw them away And I might just have to hide stuff Might call it my chuck it But not actually chuck it bucket. But I love that I think that's a genius idea Yeah
1: it works Definitely works I can't be doing with tidy enough for them
0: No <laughs> No, um, you know me and Adam have we have this conversation every single day when he gets back from the school run because every single day without fail every blanket in the living room and I'm a bit of a throw hoarder will have stuff all over it and it'll be all over the carpet and they'll have just dropped it when they've stood up like they won't even have made an effort to put it back on the sofa and every day is like how do they use every throw there's three of them and there's like six throwers why so yeah chuck it bucket sounds like a brilliant idea recommend it well Hayley thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me I feel like this is going to be an episode that's going to really help people who are going through similar things or who need a bit of positivity in their life so thank you so much for taking the time
1: thanks for having me it's been very fun